Hi, I'm Dr. Amy Robbins and welcome to Life, Death, and the Space Between podcast. I'm a licensed clinical psychologist and medium, and here we explore life, death, consciousness, and what it all means. Today, I have such a treat on the show. PMH Atwater, LHD, uses the culmination of her research to establish that the near-death phenomenon is not some kind of anomaly, but rather part of a larger genre of transformations of consciousness. She combines her 38 years of near-death research with what she was doing in the 60s and 70s, experiencing, experimenting with, and researching altered states of consciousness, mysticism, psychic phenomena, and the transformational process to reveal what transformations of consciousness really are, why we have them, and where they lead us. This lifetime endeavor covers over 43 years of work involving nearly 7,000 people. Her meticulous and unique protocol gives validity to what she has discovered. Her newest books, A Manual for Developing Humans and The Forever Angels, NDEs in Childhood and Their Lifelong Impact are both out now along with bunches, bunches and bunches of books. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome, PMH Atwater, to the show. (laughs) Good to be here, really. Hi there. Thanks so much, as always, for tuning in and listening to the podcast. Each episode costs more than you might think. Software tools to make graphics, write my newsletter, audio equipment and engineering, subscriptions to syndicate across Apple, Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, it all adds up. In order to stay a sane mom of three school-age kids, I obviously have help producing this podcast. I have help creating it. I have help with a lot because I'm a big believer in asking for help. Um, But all of this comes out of my pocket. So if possible, I would like to continue to keep my podcast ad-free, which means I would love for your help contributing. If just 10% of my listeners contributed on Patreon, I would be able to cover all of the costs of this podcast. So I totally recognize that not everybody can contribute. And what I can ask you to do if you can't is to follow me on social media to rate and review the podcast. And you can do that anywhere that you listen to your podcast. There's three little dots on Apple Podcasts where you can go to any episode and rate and review. Um, Also, pass the podcast along. Your recommendations are what keeps the podcast alive and keeps the podcast going. So if you feel so compelled to contribute, it would really mean a lot to me. You can do that on Patreon. Uh, Just go to patreon.com and put in Dr. Amy Robbins. Also, please follow me on Instagram at Dr. Amy Robbins, at just Dr. Amy Robbins. Uh, feel free to send me any emails at team at dramyrobbins.com and just reach out. I love hearing from you and I love hearing how the podcast is impacting your life. So here we go with today's episode. So can you start with your three near-death experiences, which all happened in the same year? Yes. Within three months. Okay. Tell me more, because how does that happen? The first one was January 2. The second one was January 4. The third one was March uh, March 29. So within three three months, I had three near-death experiences. I call it the heavenly sledgehammer effect. (laughs) 
if that doesn't tell you how what a hard head I had, I don't know what will. So um, I really felt like I had come a long way that I understood consciousness, that I understood uh, life and its living. Mm-hmm. And I had come to a point in time when I was tired of it. That mm. is to say, uh, tired in the sense that I knew uh, um, that it was time to move on. Yeah, you know, there's always this axiom that says, when the student is ready, the teacher will come. Mm-hmm. And I felt like I'd done it all and I was ready for a new teacher. How old were you? Oh, I guess maybe 39. Okay. 839. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, you know, I'd, I'd worked with people by the hundreds and by the thousands. I started Idaho. I come from Idaho. I started Idaho's first nonprofit metaphysical corporation called Inner Forum. Um, my dedication was to bring solid, real information to the public, not this dime store stuff you get at, at the typical grocery store. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, I wanted the real thing. Mm-hmm. I, I was led to start Interform, and I was told its name, Interform. It it had um, well easily over three thousand people, lots of classes, lots of experiments, lots of speakers. I I bring in the best available. And so you were interested in the metaphysical before you had your near-death experiences. I was interested in the metaphysical before I even knew what metaphysical was. <laughs> I, was a little, I was a little kid that was born with full memory. So I didn't fit anywhere. Mm. Um, I, I didn't fit the family. I didn't fit school. I didn't fit anywhere. And I was born with dyslexia and stenesthesia, which is multiple sensing. Uh, And it was during the days of Pearl Harbor. So there was death everywhere. Mm -hmm. You go to the the movies on on Saturday morning and you get some kind of series and some, some kind of cowboy show and cartoons. And then you get the news. So I was raised with Hitler and the Goose Steppers. Hmm. Um, so that was my life then, a mm-hmm. uh, very different kind of, uh, of life. Uh, I knew and saw and played with fairies. They didn't look like people say they do. They were energy vortexes. Mm-hmm. Um, and I could uh, look in the sky and tell you what kind of weather was coming by the rivers of water that were in the sky. And by the way, that's scientific now. We now know there are rivers in the air. Um, we didn't then. And I, I could pick up um, dirt um, near a person's home. I go outside, pick up the dirt, let it sift through my hands, and I could tell you all about the health of the people in the house. Wow. Just from the dirt. So, yeah. <laughs> I mean, how do you fit in if that those are your experiences, right? Like other kids are talking about, you know, playing with. Oh, dear. I don't even the, know what. The big one for me was first grade. 
in those days, if anybody died in the war effort, the family then was given this large gold decal that they would put on their living room window. I would have to walk to school. It was like a five or eight block walk. And uh, I would say at least half of the people had gold stars in their window. Well, kids know what that is. I knew it meant death. Mm. And, then, and this one house I went by, never, never, never will forget that house. Uh, overnight, there were six new gold stars. Mm. And I stood in front of that house and sobbed and sobbed and sobbed. I do not remember a single morning in all of first grade when I didn't have to stop my shutters and sobs just to walk in the door of my classroom. Uh, and then on top of that, being a kid that was dyslexic and had synesthesia, which is multiple sensing, I spent most of the first grade on a tall stool in front of the class wearing a tall conical hat that said Dunson on it as an example of a bad child who told lies. Mm-hmm. And by the end of the first grade, I was so angry. I did my first double-blind study with a control group at the age of five. You know, if God was going to pick somebody to do research, um, <laughs> uh, the pick of me was a good pick because <laughs> I'd always been researching. What was specifically your near-death experiences? What happened to you? What did you see? What did you witness? How well, did you come back? I hear we would be here, here forever if I went into that because I had three and each was different. But I can say that I was raped. I, I became pregnant because of, of that mm-hmm. rape. And I miscarried. Mm-hmm. And all of the prob- problems with, with a miscarriage caused my deaths. Okay. Each was extremely different. I can say in my last one, finally, a voice spoke. I didn't know what to call it, so I called it the voice like none other. Mm. You know, there wasn't anything I could compare it to. And this voice spoke, and it said, and I quote, test revelation. You are to do the research. One book for each death. Uh, Book number one was not named. Books two and three were. Book two is future memory. And And did you did you know this whole book? No, you came out of this experience. It came to me, and then I sent it out to um, other people to read it. Read it to see, you know, if I got anything here. Mm -hmm. And they all said the same thing. They all said, the world is not ready yet for this book. Put it in a box. So I did. Uh, There were was, was seven versions of that book. And I was in the uh, bathroom, taking a shower. My uh, husband was next door in the extension of the bathroom, washing his face. And I heard a voice say, Turn it into a labyrinth. I will show you how. I asked my husband, did he hear anything? He said, no. And uh, in two weeks, I had the labyrinth. The purpose of the labyrinth is to bring your consciousness up to the next highest level possible 
for you at that time. Mm. It, is, it is a brain changer. And its purpose is to change your consciousness. Uh, the other one, A Manual for Developing Humans, the, the, that was the title. That's, that's what I was given also. The third book. Mm-hmm. In this book, A Manual for Developing Humans, you talk about so many different ways we can grow our entire being to be the best humans we can be. What do you feel like are some of the biggest takeaways from this? this book anyone who's had a near-death experience or who's had a spiritual experience or in a threshold experience you must learn how to change your speech or people will not understand you you have to rearrange how you think or you won't even be able <clears throat> to uh, follow what you think is true. I tell everybody after a near-death experience, first thing you, thing you need to do, relearn how to speak, relearn how to think. So what do you mean by that, relearn how you think? I haven't had a near-death experience. I've had other spiritual experiences, but never a near-death experience. So what does that mean to someone who's never had that before? If you've gone through a near-death experience or something similar to it, your thinking will will tend to be clustered. Hmm. Meaning what? You've got all of these clusters and you you don't have any way to string them together. Or, or to make sense of them, or even to speak in a logical way, because people won't understand you. Because I think that's one of the, that's one of like the signature pieces of it, right? Is Raymond Moody describes it as the, an ineffable experience. There are no right. words to put to it. And you hear that with near-death experiencers all the time. And in dealing with the after effects, you know, what do I do with this? Mm-hmm. You have a language that can accommodate the new and the different, then that makes living your life a lot easier. Mm-hmm. It makes accommodating all these changes a lot easier. What is the most powerful NDE? I mean, you've interviewed 7,000 people. Nearly 5,000. 5,000. children. Okay. Nearly but of those that I've personally uh, been involved with, I've encountered all kinds of differences, mm-hmm. all kinds of challenges. But what do near-death experiencers do that's different from someone who hasn't had a near-death experience in those situations? And how they live, how they eat, how the, how they do their dishes have because of what what makes it not the same because you have a new perspective on life because you've experienced the other side like what do people say isn't the same for them anymore what is so transformative let me give you an example yes please my oldest daughter natalie this is about maybe a year after my experience Mm -hmm. natalie it came in um to visit me in the kitchen, stuck out her finger, you know, pointed at me, 
says, well, you're not mom and I want mom back. I no longer spoke the same way. Mm -hmm. I, I no longer moved the same way. I no longer thought the same way. So for her, I was different. Mm -hmm. I was nice, but I was a furner. <laughs> mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I was not the same person. I no longer cook the same way I used to. Hey, I just ask the food what it wants to, to do, and we both have fun. So you it's know? a different it's a different sort of interaction with the world. Absolutely. Can we get there without having had an NDE? Yes. How? Anyone who goes through a complete transformation of consciousness that is radical. Because that changes brain structure. Mm -hmm. It changes brain function. It changes the nervous system. It changes the digestive system. It changes skin sensitivity. It's as if you are born again. You know, a good Christian term here, born again. So let's talk a little bit about this book. Um, so it's about near-death experiences in childhood and their lifelong impact. So this was fascinating to me because one, can you talk to me a little bit about for kids who were really young, you have kids in here who were three, four, Birth to the age of five, that, right. in the, in the womb, right? You have, you right. had someone in the womb. Explain to me how they remember these things. Most of them remember the life stream. What do you mean by that? And, and that stream of consciousness, this is that stream of reality, every once in a while takes a dip. That's a life. And then it comes back to the stream. And, and then it'll take another dip. That's another life. They'll come back to the stream. That knowledge, that knowing, that memory of the greater stream, where they came from, the total is 397 people, 90% did not bond with their parents. Because the child couldn't connect to the parent or because the parent couldn't understand the child? Both. How often are near-death experiences looked at as a possibility versus as a therapist? You know, I'm wondering sort of the pathologizing of kids who have had these experiences or not knowing, like if, if you had a child who, I mean, I had a child who at six weeks was hospitalized for what they thought was meningitis. Um, they thought he died because he stopped breathing. Um, it was horrific. I don't know. Did he have a near-death experience? How would I know that? Like, he's never is said. Is he different? I don't know because he was six weeks old at the time. So I don't know what, what I'm, what different from would even look like now. Uh, um, Does that make sense? Other kids, yeah. other, other, other kids of his same age, other kids in school? No. Okay, then he probably did not have a near-death experience. But he's those, extremely those sensitive and empathic, extremely sensitive and empathic. Well, he could have gotten that 
from the near-death experience because most of the kids come back very empathic. Because I'm, I would imagine that there are kids who have had near-death experiences who can't put words to it or don't remember it, perhaps, if they're so young. Many, that- of, them, many of them don't remember it because a child will then not say they had a near-death experience. They don't know what a near-death experience is. Right, right. Uh, so many of these kids come, come, back, come back with empathy. So many of them want to go back. They're homesick for heaven. They were in that bright, perfect world when they weren't breathing. So to a child's logic, the way to get back is to stop my breathing. It's difficult for them to understand what we call suicide. Because, mm. it's, because for them, it's simply a way to go back. Mm. And the best to help these children is visualization techniques. Teach them how to go back. Mm. Be there for as long as they want. Then come back here because here is where the action is. Mm-hmm. So they don't necessarily have the same experience as an adult who has an ND has, which is that they sometimes have to make a choice or they get to make a choice, right? Do you want to stay or want to come back? A child doesn't have that same kind of recollection of that. Right, right. Got it. Okay. Yes. You know, one of the things I found really interesting in this book was the impact of an NDE on future generations. Anybody who has gone through a tremendous experience and has uh, incorporated that, that that experience now is part of them. Mm -hmm. And then later on, they have children. Nine chances out of 10, that child will display the same or similar after effects as, as the adult. And I could trace that for three generations. Wow. And different, we are after a near-death experience. I mean, I guess it would be like any sort of kind of ancestral or transgenerational trauma that is passed down. This just tends to have more positive uh, impact. It has more power. It has more power. And positive impact on the person who has had that experience. Well, it's changing. I, I think it's changing the genes. Wow. Yeah. So when we're we- talking about a wild thing, when we're talking about near-death experiences, in most cases, not all, mm-hmm. that can literally refigure the body mm-hmm. as well as the mind. Mm-hmm. There are ways whereby the human body and the human brain and the human mind can be turned around. From this study of children, most could remember their birth. One third could remember life in the womb. Hmm. This is a wake-up call. They can remember that vividly. They may not be able to speak it, but they remember it. That's mm. so powerful and so it crazy is to think about. Absolutely powerful. Now, I had two that could remember their conception. They were there. One of them 
drew a picture of it. Oh, well, I don't they know that older, I want to see that picture. <laughs> and they took it. There's a little girl. And she took that picture and showed mommy and daddy. And they were so shocked because she was absolutely right. <laughs> That's crazy. It was there. And she drew a picture of it. Wow. Well, what does that tell us about consciousness? And that's just next level. PMH, thank you so much. I actually want to do, do you have time for some quick speed round questions? Just some really quick questions I have for you. They're just kind of fun. Ready? Spirituality means? It means my soul. What is something most people don't know about you? I'm a rascal. (laughs) You have the laugh of a rascal. Like you're up to something. I'm always up to something. (laughs) What is one thing you're really looking forward to right now? Lunch. All right. I'm going to hurry up and get you off so you can eat your lunch. What is one thing you are deeply grateful for right now? My husband, Terry, my beloved angel, angel, Terry. I met him at a Zen meditation 42 years ago. And and we live in Zen. We we love Zen. (laughs) Apparently the key to life, Zen meditation. Yeah. On so many levels. What is one book on your nightstand right now? I don't have any books on my nightstand. I don't read books at night. You use the bed for what it's supposed to be for. Yeah. The two S's. Yes. What is your favorite spiritual or healing practice? Joy. Bringing love and joy into the world. And last question. What was the most transformative experience in your life? Dying. So PMH, thank you so much for your time today. If people want to know about your books, this is your newest one, The Forever Angels. A manual for developing humans was before that. Where can they find you? Where can they learn about you? www.pmhatwater.com. Like what you heard today and want to hear more? Wondering what comes next and what it all means? Head over to Apple Podcast, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, or anywhere you get your podcasts and hit subscribe. Also, if you could take a minute to rate and review my podcast, I would really appreciate it. Stay tuned as we continue to explore life, death, and the space between.